Blog Talk Radio. Ray and Tay today. Yes, Sports Radio's on, talking sports with friends, and you know we got it on from the NFL to the NBA, MLB and college hoops do it all day, college football, we know who's number one, understand, on the phones, you know we get it done, so call in 718-664-9098 and we'll give you more. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Ray and Tay today, and I'm Ray Tall Rayside. And I'm Tay, Eric Taylor, and we are hyped up on a Monday to crown a champion. Give us a call, 718-664-9098. Like always, emails, today at gmail.com, rayandtaytoday.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes. We are social, and it is exciting. Baseball's here. Hockey's ending. NBA's ending. Uh, you still got football free agency, college basketball championships tonight and tomorrow night. We will talk about it. It is exciting. Ray, it's here. One shining moment. will survive. <laughs> there was some controversy about that. But overall, not the greatest tournament. We spoke about it off air, but I want to ask you this. Tonight, can tonight a classic game change sort of your memory? On TBS at 919 when it tips off, could we potentially have, between North Carolina and Villanova, a one against a two seed, maybe one of the best championships we've seen in a long time? And, that, and would that change the memory of this tournament for you? I think so. Look, a, a championship game is always great, and that's the lasting memory for that night. But this tournament is going to be remembered for some great early round games, some close overtime games, and some blowouts. So it's almost <laughs> like this tournament, the final story and the final chapter hasn't been written. But I think you could salvage it with a good final you know championship game everybody was talking about how this year was the year that there were so many underdogs and cinderellas and what we have in the final four we had a one two twos and a 10 in syracuse who's not normally a 10 so we didn't really have huge huge upsets past the first weekend so i'm right. hoping for a great game i mean we'll we'll preview it in a sec but i'm hoping for a great game we, we could use it tbs could use it i know they want they want to bump those ratings their first time airing and, and having the national championship, you got to believe they need not a dominant blowout by either team. They need a classic matchup between our favorite Cinderella from 1985 Villanova and Roly Massimino will be in the building when they took out Georgetown 64-62. And then you've got the Giants, North Carolina, 19 final fours, the most of anybody, their 10th championship and they're going for their sixth win, which would be more than Duke. They have five. Duke has five. And Roy is going for his third, which would give him the uh, El Presidente of North Carolina because Dean has two. And uh, McGuire has uh, – Frank McGuire has, I think, one. So that would be one, pretty impressive yeah. um, for him to get his, his third. You know, he would join Jim Calhoun and Bobby Knight. And the only people – oh, and Adolph Rupp, I guess. And the only people – no, Jim Gowen and Bobby Knight. And then the only people he's behind are Adolph Rupp with four, Mike Krzyzewski with five, and then, of course, John Wooden with ten. So this really <laughs> puts you – two is great, right? I think there's nine coaches with two, but three is elite. I mean, three national championships is, is elite, elite for Roy. And this would be – this is his uh, – what is it? Tenth final four, fifth no fifth final four. I guess two, uh, two or three, two with Kansas and three with Carolina. So yeah, you know, he's, uh, I gotta be honest though, and we're diehard Tar Heel fans, and you know, if fans of the show do know that, new listeners might not, but I I don't think of Roy as an all-time legendary coach. If I'm being honest and fair. Um, you know, I've been rough on him this year, and I do think he's good, but I don't see him the way that I see Dean Smith, Bobby Knight, 
even Calhoun. Um, you know, maybe he's ahead of Bayheim. He's definitely not with Coach K. Is, do you think that's fair for me to say that? I don't, you know, in his in-game coaching, I've not loved it over the years. I think he had a lot of great teams at Kansas that choked. And I think in North Carolina, his two chips, I think he couldn't mess it up. They were so great. So, and this well, is another great I don't know team. about that, right? The first chip, the first championship in 2004, he came from Kansas and he lost to Syracuse in 03. And then he came to North Carolina and those were Matt Doherty's kids. So I get that. This yeah. is not, this is not a Tubby Smith situation where in 1998 he basically had Rick Patino's team. And no, that I'm not could, saying about it. He couldn't mess that up. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he went out and recruited these kids. Look, you he and did. I both don't love his philosophy. And but his, the Jersey his, recruits the kids, too. Don't kid yourself. North Carolina recruits. The history recruits the kids, too. It's not true, just a coach. True, but even the great Dean Smith only has two national championships, right? If Roy Williams wins three, look, we both don't love his in-game coaching. We both have qualms with his strategy and, and pushing the tempo and how his teams should, frankly, with the talent they have, should achieve more, believe it or not. With the number of McDonald's All-Americans that he has, I mean, he probably, and just recently Mike Krzyzewski has been really pulling in McDonald's All-Americans, but you would argue that Carolina's always had more than Duke, uh, and yet, Duke has been – Duke's got five national championships since uh, has Shish, been there and basically since 2001, right? Uh, since Sorry, since 92, uh, 91. So, yeah, I, I can quabble and I can beef a little bit with, with where you rank Roy Williams, but you know what? Like, we, like I just said before, five minutes ago, three national championships – you still got to recruit the players. You still got to keep the program clean. You still got to win six games. You st- I mean, it's quite an accomplishment. So even though, yeah, I could probably, you know, have some issues with him, I, those three those three national championships, it's hard to say anything. It's hard to say that he's not elite. It's hard to say that he's not much better than, you know, people that have only won one national championship, like a Jim Beheim. Because part of the game is recruiting, you know what I mean? It's hard. That's the thing. It's so hard to compare these coaches, especially a guy like Roy Williams, who's had the absolute pleasure and the absolute luck. I mean, I don't want to call it luck, but the absolute you know fortune of being Dean Smith's assistant and then being the head basketball coach at Kansas and at North Carolina. You can't get bluer than that in terms of blue bloods, right? If you throw in maybe Kentucky and now Duke. So, by the way, all those teams are in blue, which is interesting. But, you know what I mean? Like, so, so where do you strip out the program and the coach? You can't argue that he's the most accomplished, you know, he's top five most accomplished coaches in college basketball history. I agree. I'll so give it's tough. I, I, all I'm saying is I hear you, but, and at the same yeah. time I say it's tough. Okay. Well, let's go back to the Final Four. Let's, let's, let's work with that, our game first, North Carolina. Um, look, at the end of the day, North Carolina, too big, too strong, too fast, 83-66. They take care of Syracuse. And I think what you, you get out of that, that win, Final Four, they, they, have, they have to win this game. They do against, like you said, a non-traditional 10 seed. And the feel of the game was if they hit their shot, they're going to pull away. They were one for 10 in the first half. Page gets going. Jackson does a little bit, but Johnson and Meeks and Hicks. I mean, what I love about Carolina is that they can play slow. They can play fast, but they're very efficient offensively. They, you know, have the highest field goal percentage of two point baskets in college basketball and the points just add up. So you get 16 from uh, 15 from Meeks, 16 from Jackson, 16 from Bryce and Page gives you 13. And they just, you know, they, they roll it up. They roll up their sleeves and they go. I felt bad for Syracuse because it could have been closer if they were hitting their shots. They really weren't. They weren't playing their sort of their game. You know, they pushed it a little bit in the second half, tried to press a little bit. You know, Richardson, great freshman. Um, you know, you like what Cody dropped 20, what, 22? He had a pretty, pretty solid game. Um, but at the end of the day, Ray, I think, North Carolina flexed their muscle and proved 
why they are who they are. So I was happy. It was a good win. And uh, you, you applaud Syracuse. A great season. And, um, you know, what, what else could they do? I mean, your backcourt gets 22 and 17, respectively. You got to be pretty with, happy with that. And Beheim knows. And he said it. And I give him credit for saying it. He was like, look, they're a bigger, better, you know, they're a better team than us. We ran into the buzzsaw. But you got to give compliments to this young kid, Richardson. Malachi is going to be, uh, I would say, a pretty good player for them next year. So, um, you know, you take your hat. Malachi stays in school. Doesn't go I don't home. think Brandon he's Ingram, projected. Brandon yeah. Ingram just I, said he's going. Well, Ingram should. If you're projected yeah, yeah. one or two, like Ingram and Simmons are, that's fine. And, and I think Buddy Heal, you know, we'll talk about in the next after this game, but I think his stock might have just gotten back to reality where he's definitely not a lottery pick. He's a 6'4", two-guard that can shoot. But I think if he's lottery, he's late lottery, maybe between 10 and 15, realistically. But um, I, I hope the Syracuse kids don't go out. I mean, you, you know um, your boy, uh, Michael Bijanet, he's, he's going to be a second-round, late first-round pick. We'll see, you know, how he does. But I don't, I don't think they've got great pros on this team. Not yet. Maybe Richardson, potentially. So, um, yeah, good, good win for North Carolina. Would you, uh, were you impressed by the Tar Heels? Were you ever nervous? I was impressed by the Tar Heels and I was nervous at the same time. I mean, you look at this roster and this is why they were preseason number one. They said, and everybody, everybody said the same thing, which is that if our roster plays its best and your roster plays your best, we win. Because we have size, we have a senior point guard who's actually had an old, not a great season, but senior point guard. This kid Joel Berry is probably the the, the unsung leader in the backcourt. We have depth, we have talent, so we're the best team on paper. So it's, now it's just a matter of execution, and this Carolina team has showed in to their defense in the five games. They've probably played very good basketball, I would say, 50%, 60% of the time. And so they are clearly the best team in this tournament. And it's just a matter of – it's almost like it's theirs to lose. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's definitely fair to say. You get a little nervous when, you know, we'll get into this game, when you see a team come along – the way of Villanova's come along only because look, not only did they win by 44 points and, you know, the largest margin in tournament history, but they scored 95 and the the defense 51. Some of it was the defense. Some of it was Oklahoma. It looked like Buddy Heald only had nine points, only two in the second half. He, the, maybe the depth perception was bothering him, which you didn't think it would because he talked about, hey, in Freeport and the Bahamas, shout out to the Bahamas. And the Bahamas, you know, he shot in, you know, all types of, you know, courts and shot into grapefruit things and this and that, whatever. But when you get 95 points, it's almost as if, and you're shooting, what, 71, 72%. That, to me, is scary, and North Carolina has to seriously get ready for that because we all know their criticism has been lapses defensively of the intensity. But at the same time, look, Bryce Johnson, yeah, he can match up with Chris Jenkins. I think he's athletic enough when Jenkins comes off these high pick and rolls that, you know, Jenkins will spread out and hit that three. But, um, you know, the thing is, you know, Archie Diacono and, and Hart. When, look, if Josh Hart is playing like that, you know, can Ken Page and Ken Berry and Jackson, can they match up with Hart? You know, the, Villanova's, I think they're not heralded as much, but Villanova's talent, I mean, Bridges, these guys are really good. And I keep going back to um, Reynolds off the bench and, and all the different sides. And their big guys are versatile. And their guards are are pretty efficient and defensively they're aggressive. So North Carolina is gonna have to probably play their A to A plus game because Villanova. We talked about this off air. This might be just a team of destiny, and you know we saw it with Connecticut with Kemba and them boys. You know sometimes 
the ball, it's like the ball don't lie. You just don't, you can't beat what's supposed to be. And Villanova is scary, but people can say, hey, North Carolina, right? The coordination, like, oh, nine, this is their thing. But to talk about Oklahoma, Ray, um, look, great season. Sad to see it end that way. We'll see if he gets the Wooden Award. Uh, But the Naismith already went to – did the Naismith already go? No, the AP Player of the Year went to Denzel. AP, AP, right. So we'll wait for the Wooden tonight, and I guess the Naismith gets announced at some point. But So, you know, I I think that Buddy Heald had a great year. He was a great player. The team, they didn't – it wasn't just him that didn't show up. They all kind of struggled, you know, and they could not really – they couldn't – get the, the rebound. They, you know, Villanova had a lot of second chance shots. They didn't miss much, but when they did, they got it back and started all over again. So I tip my hat to Villanova. I feel bad for Kruger in Oklahoma. Great season, but Villanova Ray, that was dominant. Like we've never seen. It was, and it is disappointing from Oklahoma's perspective to give up a 25 Oh run. I mean, we talked about this off air you lose, you lose. It's okay. It's competition. There's only one team that's happy, and there's only one team that can win six in a row. So it's not easy, and it's not easy to get to a Final Four. But then to get there, and especially a team that's got a lot of juniors and seniors, and, and, and of course they have Heald, and they have Spangler, and they have all these uh, cousins, and they have, they've got a bunch of players. But I just felt like they, they – their will was broken, you know, in the middle of that stretch. And they're kids, and they're athletes, and they're competitors. Look, it can happen in the pros. But you just saw the game get away from them when it was a 10. First it was a 5-0 run, 10-0, 15, and then you just said, oh, my goodness, I feel sorry for them. And that's not what you want. You want them to compete and go out swinging, and they just laid an egg. It was the worst possible time to lay an egg. If this happens in December or January, no big deal, but it happened in the national semis. So that's the only part that was disappointing, but you're right. Oklahoma has nothing to be ashamed of. They had a wonderful season. Good for them. But it's worse because they beat together. them in, 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 uh, what, in late November, December. So it makes well, it worse. What, because they beat them by like 21, 25. I mean, you know, so. right. That's what is so <laughs> crazy about sports and athletics, right? You think you know something, but you don't. And that's why they play the game. You play to win the game. Yes, you do. You got listen. You gotta do that, baby. Because oh man, I. You know what's fascinating though, too. I think our boy Jay Wright, he's moving up the ladder of coaches because he's had some good teams that have kind of choked before. You know, '09 he was in the Final Four and they lost, but. He's had some good teams that we were kind of like, oh, excited, and then, boom, they lose first or second round. Well, this year, people were questioning this team, Ray. Even us, we were like, oh, we like these. They're good. We, you know, they look good, representing the Big East, but I'm not sure, you know. And they came along and put the hammer down on anybody that they needed to play. And they just were efficient, attacking you're seeing stars, you know, being born in, in, in Bridges and Hard and Diacono and, and, and uh, Reno. I mean, just Chris Jenkins. I mean, and the great storyline tonight, right? His brother, who adopted brother, him and Nate Britt, backup guard Britt, they are, you know, legally brothers because the Britt family adopted Jenkins. So I think that in itself is an amazing story for tonight and the storylines that Nance and and Rafferty, man to man, principles of zone. <laughs> Ray, you know I was happy when he did that. I lo- you got to love Bill he Rafferty. He had to get it in. I mean, that's Bill. He had to get it in. Uh, he is he's, he's legendary. He really is. And, you know, for those who don't know, he was broadcasting with ESPN and the Big East way from the beginning. He's been with CBS. He's just been everywhere and it's glad that he's back with CBS because he took that year away from ESPN and was with Fox and was like exclusive with Fox but then it's like they've let him come back and now he's the you know part of the A team and that's um that's great. Grand Hill's pretty good. You know, mild mannered gentleman. Everybody likes Grand Hill. When we had Seth Davis on he's like he really is that nice. He's like the nicest guy, you know, and so it's um look let it's time. We'll preview it, make our picks. 
I think tonight for me, the keys that I'll be looking for and the biggest thing about this matchup is how will Barry Jackson and Page start off shooting in terms of North Carolina plays inside out, but when they go out, will that out be efficient and will they be aggressive on, you know, Hart and Diakono, you know, defensively, will they be up on them? Because if you notice, these guys are hitting for Villanova some long threes. They're not just, you know, hitting right at the line. So you, North Carolina's perimeter defense, it needs to be more aggressive and they need to take this challenge because Villanova could punch them in the face. And before you know it, you know, the first TV timeout, it's 15 to six and momentum is going against them. But what I do think North Carolina has to do is take advantage of their size, get those offensive rebounds, put it back, get some of the Villanova bigs in foul trouble and take advantage of the fact that, you know what, these guys, you know, get Bryce Johnson going because he's our glue. You know, if, he, if Bryce gets 20 to 25 points, we're cutting down the nets, and I don't think it's a problem. But he could also get 20 and Villanova shoot, you know, 14 threes, and you're like, ouch, they shot 14 from 25, you know, because they'll chuck them up. That's what happened when they lost to Oklahoma early on in the season. They went crazy. But this time they're starting to, you know, attack the basket. They're doing a little bit of everything. So for me, when I look at this game, I really have this strange, scary feeling that Villanova is a team of destiny. But I also know that no team can continuously shoot 70%. And if they do, they're going to win. I mean, I don't care how good Carolina is, Villanova will win. But I don't think they will. I think it's going to be a classic game. Jay Wright will flex his muscle and show he's a great coach. They'll, you know, figure out some ways to pack it in, maybe even to switch up a little zone and make North Carolina shoot the threes to stop their big guys. But at the end of the day, I think Carolina Blue, Roy Williams, the, the, the memory of Dean Smith, Jordan, Kenny Smith, Doherty, Worthy, Perkins, everybody will stand up. J.R. Reed, Bryce Johnson, and this team, of Kennedy, my man Meeks and Hicks and, and Joel James and the big boys and Paige, they are going to win this game 79-74. Carolina survives. They win by five, and they just kind of calm it down at the end, and they hold on, and their inside game is the difference. North Carolina is going to be the 2016 national champions. All right. All right. I don't disagree, I don't with, disagree anything with anything you said. said. I think Carolina's going to win. I think Carolina will pull away in the second half. So it'll be a close game, and the formula Carolina's been using is that they stay close to teams. They don't really run away from them, especially the better teams, until the second half. And then in the second half, they feel their strength, and they stretch their strength, and then they run. They go a little up-tempo. And they hit some threes, and then they just kill you on the boards and inside. And I think that formula is going to work against this Villanova team. Like you said, if Villanova shoots 70%, they're beating NBA teams, especially when, what, 40% of their shots are from three. So if you're going to shoot that well, you're going to win. So look at the 85 team that beat Georgetown team. If they play 100 times, Villanova wins once. And it was just that one night. They shot 78% from the field, and Georgetown was uh, the victim of just a perfect, perfect shooting game. And no shot clock helps, too. <laughs> yeah. So short of that, I think that they'll come back to reality. They'll shoot 45 50% from the field like normal teams do. And they'll shoot a lot of threes. So I think it's a matter of long rebounds. From Carolina's perspective, it's a matter of long rebounds. It's a matter of playing big inside. And you know what? Giving up those what I call Steph Curry shots. Steph Curry may be the worst thing that happened to the game because people now think that they can make 25 Foot shot. No, you can't. Steph Curry makes 25-foot shots just because he's just a, <laughs> an unbelievable hand-eye coordination and a, and a talented shooter we've never we'll seen before. In a minute. <laughs> you can't make 25-foot shots. You just can't, not, not on a consistent basis. So when you see cats like Hart and Jenkins and Archie Diakono, all very good college players, 
but shooting, you know, from 25 feet, don't stop, stop. That's a bad shot. It's a bad shot. Even if you make it once or twice, it's a bad shot. So I think Carolina should entice Villanova to take a bunch of threes, hopefully get the rebounds, and limit their turnovers. And like you said, if, if Carolina gets anything from the outside consistently, from Barry, Jackson, uh, and, of course, Marcus Page, the senior, then, then they should be fine. I, in fact, I think they'll win by 8 to 10 points. Now, the way Villanova wins is they get Carolina up-tempo, they run with them, and they're mm-hmm. just more efficient. They don't turn it over as much. They don't take bad shots. And Carolina can lapse on defense. First half of the season, they were a terrible defensive team, and now they're actually pretty good. So maybe they slip back into their defensive ways. And, and Carolina playing from behind, you might get them to panic a little bit. You might get them to turn it over a little bit. So I do think Carolina wins. I think they're too big. They're too deep. They're too talented. They have diversity on offense and defense. And so I think they win by 8 to 10 points. But you know what? Villanova has shown time and time again that they're a tough out. They're a reason why they were number one. They're a reason why that all these, you know, all that talent in the backcourt, maybe they give Carolina some trouble. And, and it comes down to efficiency, one word for Villanova. They need to be efficient. They need to shoot well and not turn it over. You know, one thing I'll say this game can develop stars. And my concern is about this heart kid, the way he's been playing. He looks like he wants to be a star, right? Do you know what I mean? When you see somebody just kind of like, you see it in their eyes and like this kid, man, I, I'm really impressed with this kid. And he looks, you know, he has that look like, you know what? I want, I want cats to start to talk about me. For the draft, what, is he a, a sophomore? What, what, what year is Hart? Uh, I think he's a junior. Let me see. I'll okay. look it up. Yeah, I wasn't too sure, but I, I, I tell you, him and Jenkins, you know, they both have you know had their moments where they're trending on Twitter, and you know, they they like we're we're, uh, we're names that people need to learn and know too. You know, I I, I like to see that from cats where they're, you know, making their own statements about their skill level and their talent. So I'm excited. Yeah, Josh Hart's a junior. Josh Hart's a junior. So maybe he comes back for the senior year, and uh, if they win it, you know, he tries to repeat it. And if not, he, you know, we'll see what happens. But this is a a great run. At the end of the day, we both have the Tar Heels. So before we get to the NBA and some baseball, just real quick for the women, Ray, we got to give them love. And on Friday, we'll uh, get ready, give you our uh, hockey uh, Stanley Cup final predictions. Playoffs, I think, start this Wednesday, Ray was saying. So we'll get that ready for you. But real quick, Syracuse took care of Washington. UConn blew out Oregon State. Tomorrow night for this chip, is there a miracle for the Orange, the Lady Orange? Can Syracuse... Can they keep it from being more than a 20-point blowout, or do they even have a shot in heck <laughs> to, to upset? It's a family show Stewart. now. It's a family show. I said heck, and what the girls, what the girl, what the girls that you kind of do. I say no. I think that Syracuse keeps it tight for a little bit, but what UConn is doing, Ray, is something that we have to recognize and tip our hats to, and Stewart and and and. And Gino, they need to give be given their respect and their props. And I say that UConn probably wins by about 21, 23 points. I'll say uh, 75, 54. Yeah, UConn I'll say women. I agree. I think the score doesn't really matter in the sense that UConn's going to win, and I think they're going to dominate the whole game. So they may let up off the gas at the end. Or they may try. I don't think they'll try and embarrass Syracuse. I think that the goal is the national championship. They're they're a good enough program where they don't need to do that. So they'll win between 15 and 30. Uh, I think it'll be a pretty easy game. Brianna Stewart got in foul trouble last game, but was able to come back and still have a, a statistically oh, yeah. decent game. What was it 18 and eight, something like that? She had 16 in the second half. They're just on a mission. They're the best team talent-wise. And now that they've gotten there, 
Gino knows all the buttons to push. One game, one half, you know, one five-minute stretch at a time, they know what to do. This Connecticut team is about to do something that nobody's done. Four straight national championships. Brianna Stewart may be the fourth time most outstanding player of the tournament. You know, the other two seniors also, four national championships in a row. Gino will win his 11th. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it's there. It's there for them to take, and they want it, and I think they get it. And if they win by 15, they win by 15. They win by 30, they win by 30. But it'll be a pretty easy win for them. So great season for the Syracuse Lady Orange. They don't call them Lady Orange, but the good – they should call them the Orange Men and the Orange Women. Let's call them back to their old school names. Great season for them. First time in the Final Four ever. So good yeah. for them. But ultimately, the team of destiny is is UConn. If, and I think I'll tell you this, it. though. A little historical note. If they were to win, they would be the first seed, lower than a three seed, a four seed, to win the championship. It's only been one, two, or three seeds to win the Women's Final Four and to cut down the wow. net. So that in itself would be historic. Yeah, I was surprised uh, when I read that. That was pretty. That's pretty amazing. So it's always been, you know, a dominant team to win it. No, no flukes. No five seasons. No six. None of that. So, um, so we'll see. Now, continuing with the hoops, we got to talk NBA. Listen, the playoffs are coming. You know, we look at the the seating in the East. It's just seven and eight, really, and that's pretty much wrapped up anyway in terms of it, you know, being the Pistons and the Pacers. Uh, everybody's got five or six games left. It looks like the Bulls and Wizards are going to be left out. Really disappointing seasons for both of them. You know, it's it's a shame. But I tell you, when you look at the first round, that 4-5 matchup potentially of Miami and Boston, and look, the Celtics, we'll talk about them, just went to Golden State ended their home streak on Friday night in a great game. And, you know, a few weeks back, the bold prediction from Tay was that they were going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Brad Stevens, Ray, we spoke about it off air. He, he's moving up the ladder of great coaches because neither one of us love this roster. You, don't, you love it less than I do. But I, I'm telling you, he gets the most. Doing more with less, he's the president of that. He gets the most out of Avery Bradley. Marcus Smart, who's like shooting like less than 20% from three-point land. Marcus Smart, he's a horrible shooter. But um, defensively, they are bulldogs getting after Curry. The Warriors had, what, 22, 25 turnovers. Curry had like nine himself. They were sloppy and a mess. And then Ray, in the Western Conference, good win yesterday for the Rockets. Um, over the Thunder, and, you know, they're battling. You see at the back end there, it's Dallas, Utah, and Houston, but Houston has the easiest schedule remaining. What are your thoughts? They both have 39, Dallas and Utah. Houston has 38 wins, and they only have 39 losses, the Rockets, and the other two teams, Dallas and Utah, have 38 wins. So it's literally a game apart. How do you think this is going to finish out? And out of those three teams, who's going to be the odd man out in the Western Conference playoffs? You know what? I'm pulling for Utah because they're young and they're a new face and they're hungry. And think about what they used to be with Malone and Stockton. And then they had Jerry Sloan and then they had uh, Darren Williams for a while. And then they blew that up and rebuilt. I'm rooting for them. This Houston team is so up and down that, you know what? I'm going to say it stays the way it is that Dallas and Utah, and maybe nobody catches Portland for six, but Dallas and Utah battle it out for seven and eight. I mean, it's only one game, right, Uh, with four to go. But I'm going to say that Dallas and Utah hold on, and something – I mean, they have the exact same record. Well, Portland, Portland, they're way ahead. Portland's got 41 wins and 37 losses, so – They're not – I mean, it's it's only a game in the loss column. It's not that far. I mean, it's it's only – it's two in the win column, one in the loss column. So I don't know yeah. the head-to-head matchups. But, but let's say Portland is six. So seven and eight, I think it's Dallas and Utah. And I think this disappointing season continues for Houston. And they just find really? a way to after, muck it up. Wait, after they – first of all, their schedule is crazy easy remaining games. But 
Absolutely. But they're the same team. They're the same team. They're only four and six in their last ten, right? The playoff stretch is there to be had, and they can catch Dallas, and they can catch Utah, and they can even catch Portland from a talent standpoint. But they haven't done it. They haven't done it. So I'm going to say that they continue to to underachieve, and they don't do it. I just I just have a, I don't like this roster. I mean, I love their roster. If I don't know if, if a coach could get in there and, and and figure out how to talk to these guys, but the the big game is the big game is Wednesday. They play Dallas on Wednesday, so that will oh, yeah. tell you a lot because that's that's their we, hardest we game. Really want right, right, exactly. They play Dallas, and then, and then after that, so maybe we should maybe we should talk on Wednesday because after that, it's Phoenix, the Lakers, Minnesota, and Sacramento, all teams that are going nowhere. And with the draft lottery system, a win or two, unless you're the Knicks last year, <laughs> a win or two isn't going to make that big of a difference. So you're right. It's it's Houston's to lose. Even more reason to be disappointed in Houston if they don't make it. Because you, you can have a players-only meeting and say, guys, six games. Let's, let's, uh, sorry, five games. We need to take care of Dallas because that will really help us in the tiebreaker situation. And then – the other four, we should win. We should we should go five and zero. Oh. That should be our goal. Let's be let's well, be stand yeah, up. No, let's definitely. do what we need to do and win five in a row and go into the playoffs with some momentum. Because otherwise, we're gonna get swept. They may call it you know like the mercy rule. They may call it <laughs> off in the, in game two against the Warriors if I'd they don't get their act together. They might get mercy rule. The Utah team because they host the Spurs tonight. So yeah, that right. but you know what they do? They played them really tough. And by the way, the Spurs aren't playing for anything. They're number two. They're not going to win. And maybe if it's at home, they might want to do the home record. Might want to go for forty-one and zero at home. But other than that, right, they're resting the road, people. Yeah. They don't care. Well, the care. Spurs, Ray, right, they're thirty-nine and zero at home. Their two home games remaining are the Warriors and the Thunder. So that's yep. uh, they're going to if they earn that record at home of forty-one and zero, then props to the Spurs. Don't Wait, let the game we... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, finish up basketball because we got to talk Hall of Fame. We got to talk about the new Hall of Fame class that was announced today. Oh, yes, Iverson. Who else? Yeah, so it was uh, – well, <clears throat> well, we'll finish basketball. I mean, I, we're pretty much in agreement that this next week is going to be pretty interesting. I mean, you've got the bottom oh, of yeah. the East – sorry, the bottom of the West, the middle of the East, and you've got that record by San Antonio – and the record by Golden State. So these next, this is great for the NBA, where people usually sit their stars and check out. But this week is going to be great. I mean, if well, you're an NBA fan, I'll tell you this: watch out for Detroit tonight at Miami. That's going to be a dogfight of a game. Pistons, they need to, you know, they they still want to solidify their playoff spot, and they need to win this game. You know, not to give the Bulls or any hope or anything like that. Bulls are at Memphis. So, we'll, you know, we'll see the next couple of days, like you said. So, go ahead. Break down the uh, the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so the headliners are, of course, Shaq and Allen Iverson. Yeah. And then Yao Ming. So, those which, are the which, big three. I'm sorry. Yao Ming is not a Hall of Famer. He's not. He did not have a great career. I agree career with you 100%. He didn't have a great And the thing is, you know, it's funny. We always talk Chris about Chris Webber should be a Hall of Famer. If you're going to put in Yao Ming, Chris Webber should be in over him. No, you're 100% right. And we talk about All-Stars. But now, to me, All-Star is tainted. So the more important stat is All-NBA. Because to me, that means at the end of the season, after the whole shebang was, the whole season was observed, were you one of the first, second, or third team All-NBA players? Were you one of the top 15 players in the NBA? Because this All-Star, now granted, there are many more All-Stars, right? But this all-star stuff, and especially with Yao and all those Chinese votes that he got, he shouldn't have been a starter. He shouldn't have been on several of those all-star teams. And you could argue he didn't play long enough, and he wasn't Kirby Puckett, and he wasn't Gail Sayers. So he's not a guy that you're like, oh, man, Yao got cut off. And, you know, he would have been great. He would have been Bill – even Bill Walton, you know, projected out to have a better career had he stayed healthy. So you're right. I think he's he's the ultimate – borderline Hall of Famer who got in more for his contribution to the game and bringing basketball to China because he came at, around at the perfect time. You know, China was just coming on board. The middle class was starting to watch basketball. So 
Yao is a Hall of Famer, but you're right. He's at the bottom and barely, you know, a Hall of Famer in my book. Well, you just look at his stats in the NBA. I mean, he really didn't he didn't produce. You know what I mean? He he had the promise and the potential, but he was injured so much, you know. And, yeah, we uh, need to and, pull up Yao Ming's stats right now. And let's 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 pull that up. But all right, so let's finish out the um let's finish out the uh the guys got so we've got yeah, so we've got another so in terms of the players, right? We got Zelmo Beatty, we've got Cumberland Posey and on the okay. men's side, and then we have Cheryl Swoops on the women's side. Now we all remember Cheryl who really Oh, brought basketball, women's basketball, put them on the map. And in terms of the coaches, those are the players. And then in terms of the coaches, we've got Tom Izzo and John McClendon. And then we've got Jerry Reinsdorf as an owner. And then we've got huh? Daryl Garrettson as a referee. So we've there got go. the whole, yeah, we've got owners, we've got women players, men players, and well, Cheryl referees. Swoops. You remember Cheryl Swoops. She was amazing. Of course. Sure. She was definitely amazing. So yeah, all in all, I would say that I, it, it's basically the Iverson and Shaq show. I mean, this is a year where, yeah, Cheryl Swoops. So so maybe put Cheryl Swoops. So Iverson, Shaq, and Swoops are really the headliners. The rest are worthy contributors. Yeah, he averaged 19 points a game with a 9.2 rebounds. One point six blocks. Yeah, nineteen and nine. One point nine. Basically, blocks. two blocks a game. One point nine blocks a game. So nineteen nine and two. Yeah. Those are very good stats. But by the way, it's over nine seasons, right? It's not over eighteen seasons, like Duncan or Garnett or Kobe, because usually you're averaging in the in the Hall of Famers, even if they're averaging yeah, only nineteen. They actually only played eight seasons. Yeah. They're averaging four, five, six, seven. Yeah, eight seasons. That's eight not seasons. not a yeah, Hall of Famer. That, that if you did that over a sixteen-year career, because usually those those Hall of Famers, you know, they average twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven in yeah. their first, you know, seven, eight years, and then in their last four, five years, they'll average, you know, eighteen, nineteen. 20, so right, that brings their average down. Yeah. So to only do that over eight seasons, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not really sold on. Now they'll argue there's an eight-time all-star. Five points one year. You know, he did average. So his best year, exactly. So in his best year, he averaged 25 points in the 06-07 season, and his best year, the following season, he averaged 11, (laughs) almost 11 rebounds a game, 10.8 rebounds a game. So his very, very best season is 25 and 11, which is combining his, you know, two seasons. He's not a Hall of Famer, though. Very good player. Cut short by injuries, I'll give him that. But I, you're right, I'm not sure he's a Hall I, of Famer. I respect the international. Uh, like, if you want to put him in the International Basketball Hall of Fame, I think they have that. That's fine. But pro basketball, you know, Springfield, Massachusetts Hall of Fame, I, I can't give it to him. But for a minute, let's just – Shaq, the greatest force. We have him as a top five center. Um, he's just deserving and amazing. And, of course, you know, four championships, and he was the, the, the backbone of three. And, you know, Wade helped him a lot. But he, he helped Miami, too, with that. You know, he wasn't, a, he wasn't along for the ride. It was him and Wade. And then I, Iverson, to get to the finals twice with that roster is a yeoman's job, one of the worst. We talked about worst rosters in terms of getting to the finals. Him, Cleveland, and, and Jason Kidd taking that Nets team. One of those, one or two of those years, but Iverson carried a horrible team, and but to me, Iverson was—I'll still never forget the, when he broke Michael Jordan that night, the first time they met up, and that crossover, and just took it to him and took him to the basket. Um, you know, I think AI will be remembered as one of the greatest little players ever, but he was a warrior, Ray. We used to talk about it all the time. You know, and I met him in person. I'm 5'11". He was barely my height, if not shorter than me. People said he was listed at six feet. He was not six feet and very slender dude. Uh, Could have played quarterback, a great athlete in high school, 
amazing at Georgetown. Allen Iverson, I think over the years, because of how it ended, has been underrated. Go back and look, ladies and gentlemen, not just YouTube, whatever, but, I mean, you could argue that that Sixer team probably shouldn't have even been in the playoffs, let alone the NBA Finals, okay? With Tyrone Hill, uh, what did he have? Tyrone Hill. Oh, God, uh, Kevin Tumble they got in a midseason trade, but it was Kevin yes, George Lynch, McCormick, George Lynch, Eric Snow, Eric Snow, Tyrone Hill. Yeah, I mean, that, that was not a good team at all. Um, so, yeah, we salute you, AI. You were amazing. The one what, what was his best year? AI, Didn't he have like 35 one year? Something yeah, crazy. the one knock here, I'm pulling up AI stats. Yeah. His best, so he averaged Ooh. over 30 a game. <laughs> Full five times in his career. Yeah, that's amazing. 31, 33, 30.7, 31.4, 31.1. Ray, I told you, tell them kids to look him up. He's the real deal. He averaged for his career, for a 14-year career, we talked about Yao Ming, on an eight-year career averaging 19, Allen Iverson averaged 26.7. Wow. And that's that's keep in mind, his last three years, his last four years were 18, 17, 12, and 13. So wow. if it wasn't for the last four years bringing his average down, his average would have been like 28 a game. Yeah, he's a legit – he's one of the best offensive players we've ever seen. Let's just – let's call it what it is. And, and by the way, he averaged 6.2 assists a game. Very he wasn't impressive. only shooting the ball. Right? Consistently and when that, he was averaging 30. Way lesser talent. Only one yeah. year, ladies and gentlemen, did he play with a legitimate all-star, and that was with Denver and Mello. And yeah. at that point, he wasn't, he wasn't himself. Right. He averaged 24 the first year, 26 the second year, but then by the third year, he only averaged 18. So he, he, he quickly fell off the cliff in Denver. But this guy, but what you said is absolutely right. He is the one guy that – you say to yourself, the detractors say, oh, he was a ball hog and, you know, he wasn't no. he was malcontent and he gave up, you know, these sort of negative vibes. But you know what? He, he was a, never. He was a trendsetter. Not even at Georgetown. Oh, my God. He had the sub. No, I think they overplay the whole practice thing and the fact that he would go at it with the with his coach, you know, with Larry Brown. And, oh, no. And every I, time. Saw, I told you. Did you see the, the whole special on him on NBA TV? It was amazing. You know, his best friend had just died, and they called him in because there were trade rumors, and they called him in about, you know, they were talking about, and that's why he was going off about practice. He'd probably been sipping a little bit of alcohol, but he was crazy depressed, and he was called in, and, you know, he was just insulted after losing in the NBA Finals. They're talking about trade rumors, and then they brought up the whole practice thing, and that's why he kept saying, wait, wait, we're talking about practice? Are you talking about trading, you know, trading me? And my boy just died. We're talking about, you know, that's why all that went down. So it was amazing to see that. I was like, wow. Yeah, no. So unlike Shaq, who always played with either Penny Hardaway, Uh, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade, Allen Iverson played with nobody in particular. I mean, Carmelo for a couple years, Dikemi Mutombo. So that's the one knock. And that's the only again, time Denver a... got out of the first round. The only time Melo got out of the first round, right, was with Iverson, wasn't it? No, no, I think he did it. Was it with, with Iverson? I thought it was with Chauncey Billups. Yeah, with Chauncey. Maybe it was with Chauncey, yeah. Without Iverson, yeah. So the one knock, and, and I would have loved to see him play with people of his caliber, people that are Hall of Fame or or borderline Hall of Famers. That's the one thing. And, again, players don't control that. And that's why you can never hate on these guys that created the big three, and I want to play with Chris Paul, and I want to play with Carmelo Anthony, and I want to play with this. I get it, because if you don't, you're Allen Iverson. You're a guy who's every year for 14 years the best player on your team and by far the best player on your team. And that's fine, and you stroke the ego, and you make the, the big contract, and you have the big numbers, but at the end of the day, you don't think Allen Iverson would have traded some of those numbers to play with some better talent and, and go deeper in the playoffs? He, every year, basically, he almost had – he averaged 2.2 steals a game, too. 
this guy, he's he's really underrated. Iverson was uh, he was great. So we say congrats and salute them. Let's talk some baseball, Ray. I mean, you know, opening day, uh, pretty pretty interesting. Pirates start off, get the win over the Cardinals. Luriano looked great. Um, you have the first homer of the day, your boy Troy Tillowiski banged one out for the Blue Jays to take down the Rays. The Angels beat the Cubs, um, you know, in, in, in the nice little uh, battle yesterday. What was it? Uh, what did they win? I think it was 4-1, uh, right? Yeah. No, no, 6. They scored six runs. It was 6-4 they beat the Cubs. 6-4. Uh, the Angels get some offensive explosion, and then in the oh, yeah, sorry, four one was the Pirates and Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, four one. Yes, and then it was four to three. The Royals over the Mets. Let's let's talk about that one there a little bit. Um, what do you think about sort of just the the you know? I think they do. They put up the banner. The rings are on Tuesday. I think they get their rings. What do you think about this Royal team who still might be getting underappreciated or disrespected? Some people are picking them not to win their own division. And, you know, some people got them picking the World Series. A lot of people going with the Cubs. But what do you think about this Royals team and how they, you know, strategically, again, beat Harvey and the Mets 4-3 yesterday? It was an interesting game because they they went up 4-0 and you thought they were going to run away with it. Cespedes had that error early in the game. Volquez pitched great six innings. But this team is just so hard to beat, this Royals team. I mean, they, they know how to win clutch games. I give the Mets credit for coming back. Yes. But ultimately, this Royals team is really good. And, and they lost some talent at the front end of the rotation with Cueto gone. Uh, can Edison Volquez really be a legit number one? But you know that if they have a lead at the end of the game, and even though Wade Miller – They just got to go six innings. That's it. Yeah, 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 the Drew. And and even though he had a little bit of a rougher ninth inning than he's used to, I think he threw like 26, 27 pitches. He gave up a walk, and then Granderson got a single, so they were first and right. third. But then he proceeded to strike out David <laughs> Wright and Ioannis Cespedes. Not only did he strike them out, but Wade they had Davis. no chance. Wade yeah. Davis. Yeah, they had, I said Wade Miller. Sorry, Wade Davis. They had he's no becoming- chance. He's becoming a, a very dominant closer. If you looked at those at-bats, they had no chance. Uh, I, I was watching the game, and yeah. David Wright was just looked at strike three, and Cespedes was playing defense his whole at-bat. So this Kansas City Royal team, how, I hate how to Yankees be in the AL it, Central. Yankees are on now. How are they going against the Astros? Well, it's raining in New York, though, uh-huh. so that's – that's a problem. So I, I think a lot of the East Coast is going to have a problem today with all the, you know, so they the didn't rain even get and started? rain delays. Yeah, it's delayed. Yeah, the, the the that was supposed to be the one o'clock game. Right, right. The only well, game going on right now is the Giants and Brewers. And snow in Connecticut today. Say again. Didn't they have snow in Connecticut? Oh, yeah, yeah, They had snow in Boston yesterday. So I don't know if it was snowing in Connecticut. It, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they said in Bristol they were – 40s and like, rainy. Wow. Well, listen, that's, we always have that issue, right, with the first week of April with the East Coast uh, teams. You almost feel like everybody should be scheduled to play the teams, you know, in the south or in the west. Right, this game should be in Houston today. Yeah, because – that way you don't have these issues. And I don't know why MLB, I mean, they do spread it out so that they have like a, a day off so they can make up a game, but you don't even have to do that. Just schedule it, you know, where these guys are predominantly playing. There's enough West coast teams for the American and national league that they can host games <clears throat> and, you know, have East coast teams at the West coast teams, just the first, first week. It's not that hard. You can do it. And and that way you don't you don't have these issues. I don't understand why every year they have to face this. It's kind of silly to me. But, well, you know what you happens know. is they forget. Uh, I think I think it happens, and then they say, "Oh, it's, this is an anomaly. Next year won't be that bad." And then inevitably it happens again. 
So people just have a, <laughs> a short memory, I guess. Yeah, it's like every year you want to just uh, lose that battle between uh, them and Mother Nature. It's uh, kind of funny, but um, today, what's what's the game that you you know? Obviously, we want to see the the Yankee Astros, but if if you had to say, I want to watch a baseball game today, what would be a matchup that you'd have to keep your eye out on? You know what I want to see. Uh, well, two games I'll give you, and they're both American League games too, because I, I want to see how for real these teams are. Um, the interleague game's great, Cubs and Angels, by the way. If you want to look for an oh. interleague game, that's, that's yeah. a pretty fun game. To, uh, Boston to check and Cleveland, out. right? That's the one you want to see, Boston and Cleveland. Yeah, I want to see Boston and Cleveland. I want to see if David Price is ready and Poppy going into his last season if they're ready. And this kid, Corey Kluber, remember, he won the Cy Young two years ago. He's a good, good young pitcher. So that's a game I want to see. That's 405. And then Seattle Mariners against the Texas Rangers. This Hmm. is a really – this is the first time I can remember that the Seattle Mariners could disappoint a lot of people. You know, they have a roster and they have a salary – that they're carrying that puts them in the upper, you know, third of baseball teams. Now they had that great run and they kept falling short against the Yankees in the late nineties, early two thousands. And remember they set the record for most regular season wins, right? They won 116 games or whatever it was. They, I mean, 116 total. And then they are a team now that has talent and has payroll and yet, nobody really thinks that they can do big things in the AL West. So let's see if King Felix still has his stuff. Let's see if Cole Hamels is setting it nicely in Texas. Texas is obviously waiting for you Darvish to come back. But I want to see that game. That game will start to tell me some things. Obviously, one game of 162 doesn't. You want it because David Price is on your fantasy baseball well, team. Ladies and too, gentlemen, you know that. <laughs> I, I, I am here to let you know that Tay is, Ray is full of it. Tay will tell you the truth. <laughs> Ray's got a fantasy ulterior motives. Okay. I do have David Price on my fantasy team. Yeah. I, I agree. I come clean. In your heart of hearts. You really want to fly to Cincinnati to see the Phillies and the Reds. This might be the beginning of the worst seasons for both these teams in a long time. That that's a brutal game. Phillies at Reds. Do you think do you think I they're mean, selling out in Cincinnati? Look at the starting pitching. The starting pitching is Jeremy Hellickson, right? Oof. Against Iglesias. <laughs> against Rysel Iglesias. Who yeah, is three I don't and seven in his career. Ray, you couldn't pick those guys up in a lineup. You couldn't pick them out in a lineup. That's that's sad. That just shows you how terrible baseball is going to be this year for both of those teams. It's unfortunate because I got to say, like I feel in the NBA, I feel right now in baseball, they couldn't expand. But overall, you got out of thirty-two teams, you've got about. 26 that have very good rosters. I really believe that. Look at look at the AL Central. There's not one bad roster in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? You do have a couple divisions with terrible rosters, but that's probably AL East, four or five teams. No bad rosters. That Baltimore team's not a bad roster. No bad ro- You may not have a 90-game winner either, though, but you're right. No bad yeah. rosters. You know, so, look – it's going to be a great week of sports. Watch some baseball. Enjoy the NBA playoff push. And tonight, the crowning of a champion, North Carolina or Villanova. Strap in. Tip-off is at 9:19 TBS, ladies and gentlemen. And they will play one shining moment <laughs> at the end. Yes. The Luther Vandross version. Version, yes. The one that you're used to. So enjoy. Have a great sports week. We'll be back on Friday. And, oh, by the way, by Friday, the Denver Broncos might have Colin Kaepernick as their quarterback, who they're working on a trade for the Niners. Do you like that or this you don't like It's a game of chicken that they're playing because you would think a starting quarterback in the NFL, especially one that's been to a Super Bowl and an NFC championship, not granted, yes, he's they, had they a bad – They don't want to pay him $11 million. 
I know, and I'm thinking to myself, you're not going to pay $11 million to your starting quarterback? Now, granted, they're, they're, they're hamstrung by salary. They might have to get rid of Ryan Clady just because the way the salary cap and, and all the money that they They are. They just cut a safety yesterday. They just cut a safety yesterday, and they're going to trade or try to release, probably try to trade Clady for a draft. Pick. Yeah, they have to. We get under the salary cap, but you are quickly forgetting that – the number one position in football. Now, granted, you won with a below-average quarterback, but he had an above-average mind. He had an above-average ability to manipulate well, the game. Kubiak Don't forget that. With Kaepernick, Kubiak feels he can they'll run the ball and they can make it bootleg and bootleg and do scramble. So pay him. With Kaepernick, yeah. Yeah. Listen, they better not start the season with Sanchez as a quarterback. That's where that, oh, arrogance, that arrogance will humble you. I'm sorry. Agreed, agreed. They won't make the playoffs with Sanchez starting. I'll tell you that today. So, great show. Thanks for listening. And, um, hey, we'll catch you on Friday. Have a great sports week. Let's go.